Okay, um, back on the air. Last year, last year was a good time for perspective. For example, we can all now realize this year was on time every other day. <laughs> During the summer. Um, and I understand Yehuda and uh, David Fried already my O2 emails uh, find out ways in which the Shiloh could be expanded well beyond what we did. That always uh, great questions, always, always raise questions of choices and pedagogic choices. Uh, I don't regret those choices though, honestly. Um, you know, I think genetic diseases would have been too big. Um, even discussing all the parameters of Heteri Kohanim and how they affect other families, I think is probably too big for a summer. You are welcome to do your research and, and, and uh, tie those in if you so choose. Uh, I think we can distinguish the case I gave, um, as I said to you just now, that um, as I think that as opposed to other cases of Heteri Kohanim, which are based on halachic choices, which leave the relatives the opportunity option of saying, okay, we're making different halachic choices and making that choice explicit. You're relying on the sheet of the Marashtam, the Rol Kone Chazaka. Well, guess what? We don't rely on the sheet of the Marashtam, the Rol Kone Chazaka. Go home. Uh, right, that's right. Many, most Hitarian for Kohanim to marry, for people who have previously presented as Kohanim to marry uh, people who are Psulim to Kohanim, right? Women are Psulim to Kohanim, usually rely on a position in the Marashtam that our Kohanim nowadays are not really Kohanim de Oresa, because it's only Chazaka, that it's not really Yichas. And then you find other Hitarian to join to that. And if you just, there are many posts who reject the Marashtam outright. And so you can't be someone on that at all. So it's always possible for one member of the family to say, well, I'm, I'm accepting the Hetar from this rather based on, on the Marashtam. The other members of the family just say, that's ridiculous. We don't, we don't accept the Marashtam. And so then the families can do different things. We're still going on, you're not. I, I am uh, uncompelled, uncompelled by this argument. Because Marshtam is a shita that is legitimately in controversy. And I don't believe so. That, how you, that a factual proof? Yeah. Well, find me the Megami Gimnin, let's see what's here. Yes. Ah, good point. I can't hear you. You're muted. I was trying very hard to have a thank you. It's trying very hard to have a case where there would be another live person with interests directly opposed who knew about this. Um, that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. You can critique the case, okay? As I author, I offer full license in this case to add in whatever facts you need to make sure that you need to address the question of. Uh, <laughs> Your own of, your, of information about yourself that reveals information about others. I mean, I just don't want to have to get into the Kohanim stuff because that goes into a lot of areas of halacha that I'm not so familiar with. Um, 
Yeah, you're also entitled to say that you're assuming for the purpose of this question that DNA evidence is sufficient to disprove Nuna. Or well, would that be happening at all? I'm not sure that would be happening at all. It might just be a non-Kohanim already, and that's the only question, and that they need DNA evidence to become Kohanim. I think that's an extreme position. I also give you a card blush degree. <laughs> <laughs> never, will, never will abuse him. <laughs> um, no, I can try to make it. I think if we have to follow our claim very definitively, that would help a lot. Okay. What? Okay. Yeah. That's. We don't know. It's not in the shadow. It happened plain, but I, I think that might. Okay. We have a very strong assumption that fathers know who they are. The father said, "The father said Yakir." That would be a different story. But the, right, but the father is dead. Well, the father is dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Father's dead, right? Ah, okay. So that's already that's already a whole new. Do I have to go to Bacon and say out here if it makes me have to deal with this? If it, it makes you have if it makes you have to deal with it, you can have him go to Bates and say out here. Why are they so suspicious? The twins. Like, well, like it feels well, like they're, they're must that, be missing what, context. What is this obsessive? That was that was why I put that in. Because what is this what is this obsessive in a sort of way? <laughs> But that's the kind of person I think who would uh, who would feel compelled. That. That's what that's what that's what I was trying to show. Was like somebody who I was I thought I thought of plugging plugging my uh, podcast on Asher Brewery, and right you know people, there are some people who just can't you know as long as there are facts they can't deal with it right they can't deal with there being facts out there that might uh, right that might mess things up if they know they're entitled to rely on Psakas is but you know they said you have to look at all all nine and counting episodes of my of my podcast or of Moshe to right to decide that but I thought that would be cheating. But in general especially I haven't monetized the podcast anyway. It's also like uh, like presumably gonna affect like their relationship with mother and stepfather, right? Who so may or may not be their stepfather. <laughs> But in general, don't we not rely on uh, oh, don't we not rely on DNA evidence for you? I don't know if it's Kahuna would be different if everyone wanted to do that, they're starting to try to do now. But uh, in general, for Monsieurs, we don't rely on DNA evidence. So we have different way, I know my way out of my way out of DNA evidence uh, for you which is unique to Mamzerus. Mm -hmm. And Roy Willing's way out of out of DNA evidence is unique to Mamzerit. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very hard now just to take the position in Halakha that DNA evidence is unreliable. Because we use it. Um, yeah. You can raise the possibility of shimras if you so wish, or right of of you know, of, of uh, fraternal uh, fraternal twins from different right yeah, from it's different sperm. It's happened. It's just very very unlikely. I agree. Would it have made a difference to you if the father says yakir? Would it made a difference to me if the father says yakir? Do you think it would have been an easier shower? Uh, it probably would have been an easier shower. Okay. But I haven't I haven't done Yakir and Kahuna specifically. Right. I haven't done any of Kahuna. That's why I didn't I do. There are choices you have to make. The you know, I can blame it all on the extra week. We had five weeks, so what we usually do, of course, we would have covered all these topics in depth. We did cover a lot of people about disease and doctors. All right. So there are choices, right? You know, I think there's the question I did. Yeah. So you left yeah, yeah. Um Okay, and um, I think to me the major choice I, you know, that, I, that I go back to is is framing the question at the outset as a question of whether privacy can be exists conceptually or not. Uh, you know, think about whether with the extra week, of course, I would have rather, I would have just done all the cigarette individually and maybe given you the case at the outset and said after every every child you think this applies to that case or not. And probably you would have said no, I don't understand how it relates, and then pull the, the articles out at the end. And right, and say, oh, look, this is how you could possibly, uh, this is how you could possibly expand. It could have started by just teaching Griswold, 
and uh, had you know and, and had people take sides on that regard on that on, on that with you know without raising the question whether people had already done it in halacha, all sorts of choices like that. Um, but hopefully, hopefully it came so out. If of- I want to say I don't want to get into any Kahuna issues, and we're just going to assume various things and deal with privacy. That's okay. That's okay. Issues you still have to deal with at the very least the right you have to be the Doish Afayufsi if you say Kahuna should. You are welcome to bring in Kohanim. Kohanim generally are, are, are uh, it would not be unfair to describe Kohanim in Chazal as obsessive in a Baltosophy sort of way about Kohanim. Right? I think yeah, that might be. Just say they're obnoxious. Real Kohanim wouldn't be obnoxious. Just, you know. I think about Fakir. The first thing they're real Kohanim after are obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> they're not obnoxious. That's right. <laughs> Are you saying about obsessive compulsive disorder? Like, well, I'm not saying OCD. No, I'm very careful. I don't want to say OCD. Okay, so yeah. you're saying he just, the person has a tendency to yeah. be like... Uh, very, very careful not to say OCD. Yeah, because I, I, yeah. I actually, yeah. So my question is like, that's not, that shouldn't be like the focus. I don't want, no, I don't want to talk about that. That's why I said baltosophy sort of way. Okay. Yeah. It's very, 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 what does very that mean? <laughs> it means that they do it in such a way that that on occasion their person might be tempted to turn to them and say the halacha doesn't require this of you. And by asking, right, I think that's that, right? As you know, if, it, if it's OCD, then it, right, then it doesn't play. You know, then you have all sorts of other you yeah. know considerations to play in. So I was very, I was trying very careful to come with a formulation that brings you up to the edge, and doesn't um, and doesn't take you over the edge, in which you can you can dismiss what they're saying as a clinic, as a clinical diagnosis, and which is which is obviously not healthy for them. Right. That's what I'm trying very hard. I tried very hard not to, not 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 to go over that. But the best formulation I had was baltosophy sort of way, um, which I you know I can tell you that you know I is. Really know what that means. Is it? Well, baltosophy means we do things you're not supposed to because halacha does right because halacha says six or thirteen it's vote not six hundred fourteen. So baltosophy sort of way is that it makes other people suspect watching you. You're not doing this because you are just have a deep commitment to halacha that there's something else going on. Okay. Um, I'm sure this is a technical term. Baltosophy sounds. Uh, it, but it's not because supposed to do this. All right, you just says right. Maybe that's what quite part of Kuhuna is being baltosophy. Uh, like certainly be, being a nazir is part of baltosophy. Right? Being obsessed with family. Yes, but you know, and I and I suspect that certain members of Chazal thought this was unhealthy. Uh, in general, I have an ambivalence about uh, about the way as you know it comes from uh, from real cases in which. Um, Kohanim sometimes, Kohanim when other aspects of their life do not do that when it comes to the Kuna, they make decisions that might not be halakhically necessary that are that are psychologically um, damaging to them. Because they're very like, they don't want to listen to them. Yeah, they're really, into, they're really, into, really into their Kuna. People are really into their Kuna. Uh, which, you know, you can say is a fulfillment of a mitzvah of a mitzvah the Kedashtim also. Right? So you can frame it, you know, it's not Baltosophy. That really is a mitzvah. I mean, you could also link that back to privacy and stuff. You could, right? All sorts of things you could do, right? Okay. But those are choices we made. Um, you know, all sorts of uh, all sorts of things we learned. You know that um, I think I learned that I I need to have a you know a more prepared stable of collaborators. I would have, this would this would have been a summer to bring Chaim Simon in to teach um, to teach legal theory, and we didn't do that. But I think we did some really great learning, and that is largely to your credit. And so um, thank you. I'm just open. You know, there are always choices, and you can think for yourself. But if you choose to give a series of sure on it, what your choices should be for for uh, for a different audience. Uh, as I'm, I'm thinking about like what I wanted to reteach this uh, in different contexts, how I'm reteaching. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I that I certainly there's no way around is that I did not find a way to get you um, Arya Schreiber's article 
um, because mm-hmm. I don't have Rishus. Uh, so I'm still thinking about that, but I want to start the last year just by presenting some of his claims. And um, so you can have them for yourself. And now I'm still thinking about the way to get them to, to get you access to them. The article just is called, um, it's called, does it have a title? It must have a title. It's in Jewish Annual Volume 20. Uh, and it is called, I have to get past the, it is called Privacy in Jewish Law, a Historical and Conceptual Analysis. Uh, okay, it's volume 20. And I wanted to read you the opening, the opening paragraph. Uh, the opening paragraph, um, no. this is published in Jewish Lanyard, but they, 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 they apparently have very mockery on copyright. Um, you can go read it if you have access to, but I, I do not, the, I don't have, I don't have a public, it's not on JSTOR. So he locates the, com- he locates the conversation in the context of the general conversation at Mishpat Ivri, uh, though he talks about Rabbi Lamb, but for him, the major, the major conversation is Israel and the question, and it relates to the whole issue of Mishpat Ivri. And that raises an important question about what, intro, right, what the goal of the endeavor is. So for Mishpat Ivri people, the goal, or a primary goal is to demonstrate that halakha is capable of functioning as modern law. Right, so what they're trying to do is produce out of halakha a, uh, a useful legal structure. Now that imposes ideological constraints and that it has to be somewhat in tune with modernity. And it imposes practical restraints because frameworks that yield nothing enforceable or that yield only, only private, engage, right, private engagements but don't cover the question of how you enforce it are not useful for Mishpati free people. Right, because that's that's just religiously, but it doesn't accomplish Mishpati If you started with the premise, look, the state needs to regulate these kinds of issues. We want the state to regulate these kinds of issues in ways that are recognizably halakhic. So then you have to produce out of right. It doesn't help you to say, no, actually halakha thinks that this, right, halakha says nothing about the state. It just leaves it up to the discretion of the sovereign. Right, so that's one kind of interest, right, which Schreiber points out, I think, correctly, is, right, can be distorting. Uh, you are right. So one of the things he critiques out of that is that Mishpati um, Vri people, even though they're doing law, do law in a very traditional way and are not interested in the historical development of the law because the historical development doesn't yield a, right, it's just interesting intellectually, it doesn't yield something that will be recognizable as halacha. Uh, whereas he argues for a much more hybrid claim. And so part of his argument is going to be that if we take a look at Hezek and if you look at Hezek in the abstraction, you can say, oh, look, Hezek is about privacy. On the other hand, if you look at Hezek as a development that is roughly parallel to what Roman law does at the same time, and Roman law at the same time is not about what we call privacy, but is about entirely about enjoyment of private, enjoyment of private property, um, and about right and about building codes, and you can say Alakha, right? You look at Alakha, no, Alakha is not about privacy. Alakha is about the same, the, what the parallel development development in Roman law is about, right? That's the kind of argument that he makes. That I think has, um, I think has um, has virtue, um, and then he talks. Then he does uh, what you would expect to um, to claim, right? If you want, if you don't have that agenda, if you just want to describe halakha as it is, so describing halakha as it is doesn't get you a broad right to privacy. It gets you a bunch of things that you can narrow in all sorts of ways. You can say, uh, he's into Hezek 
it maybe maybe Bilam was actually talking about tribes keeping their business to themselves as opposed to people keeping their sexuality to themselves, right? That they, right, that that's what the Tzachim meant that each tribe didn't see each other as well. Okay, good. Now we've got you know if you build everything off Bilam, that now Bilam goes out goes out the window uh, or the door because he's really not talking about private individual privacy at all. Um, you can say that the whole structure of Hesekria is in a much narrower sense is about, well, we have to make life livable in urban spaces, but we don't really have any interest, but we're, where it doesn't affect livability in suburbs, we wouldn't have any, we're near the same law at all. We're just regulating it. We're regulating a reality that there's an urban life and people are on top of each other. And so we have to set some boundaries. All right, so that's right. He makes the right. So he, he tries to argue, you know, he tries to argue that based among other things on the story of Rav, that there was no real notion of sexual privacy. There was only a notion of visual sexual privacy. All right, so those are all those are all ways in which you can, which, you know, the end of the sense. So who says there's a law? There's a law of privacy in Halakha. You right? Only it's only if you think there ought to be a, a law of privacy in the state of Israel, and you think that the law of privacy in Israel, that the law in Israel also be halachic. So then you say, ah, look, the state of Israel. Gemara not being in the room. When yes. Also, yeah. Just like Rav asking about like. Is that you? Uh, like, get out. It it implies that there's something being violated there. Sure, but you can say lav orach ara is just derech eretz, and if you have a distinction between derech eretz and law, right? Why didn't Rav say puk? All right, you're violating, right? You're violating whatever issue it is. Mm. Right. I, mean, I think I think generally we think the Gemara about um, like not being in the same room as husband and wife is about them feeling ashamed of having sex, not about you not you know being right. allowed right, to be there. It says even when she's a meeting. Yeah. Um, I think the main reason is about that. Okay, so that's a, that's a fair conversation. You know, he 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 says the fact that that teachers talk to their students in the Gemara, uh, right, shows that it isn't the same degree of privacy that women wore white when they were tahora. Shows there isn't the same degree of privacy. You can argue that or not. You can argue that you can have a general concept of privacy, but what is private is socially is socially constituted, right? Those are all those are all ways out. I think the the bit you know you can look at his example specifically. Um, he has, you know, he argued, you know, some of them are just details that we have seen. Um, there are a few things, the parallels Roman law is an interesting thing. The notion that sexual privacy to some extent develops in response to Christian polemic is an interesting historical claim. Um, you know, that we, that you would develop, you know, develops more shame about sexuality in a Christian context. Of course, it could have gone the opposite way. Um, right, you know, you can decide that, you know, that you're going to get rid of, you're going to oppose Victorian prudery, whatever it may be, right, because halakha is about that. That seems to be of some degree where we're going now, that we were celebrating past halakhic openness about sex in the contemporary society. Um, mm-hmm. We have, we're, we're, right now, you know, the Orthodox community is all about rediscovering the, the past openness about sex. Um, in Kala classes and Hassan classes and podcasts and books. Mm-hmm. For, you know, many people think it's a very good thing, right? We have that we now have, you know, illustrated halakhic marital guides. I'm not sure how far that's made inwards into like the less modern segment. It's a fair question. It's different <laughs> than it was 10 years. Yeah, no, how far they've met, how far they've, you know, that the you know, the th- there is such a guide does not mean that guide is distributed. Uh, but, you know, although you could distribute it together with the Rav Moshe that is Matthew the week before weddings, um, right? Looking at looking at uh, marital guides, hmm. um, right? So you could do it that way. I don't know how much it's, it's gone in the, and it could be that it was always false that you know that uh, classes were always very explicit, and we just just who, right, who, just who tracked them. 
Who knows? Um, in the modern Orthodox community, yeah, certainly. Of course, CBM course, sexuality. The amount of times we talk about sexuality in this class. Okay, can't can't talk about privacy without talking about sexuality. Right. Anyway. No, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying maybe that could be a topic for a course. <laughs> okay, not me. <laughs> I, I will not be teaching that one. Um, okay. I like to think not. <laughs> um, I like to think not. Um, okay. This year, SPM is limited to narrative. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different question. Uh -huh. um, okay. Um, he quotes. He, he, meant, you know, he mentions one thing that um, that I, an article that I don't think I gave you certainly didn't assign, which is Rabbi Rackman's article, which makes uh, which brings in a source where Lamb doesn't that I should perhaps have included. The counter evidence was with you know, that came to mind. Uh, just made it made it hard for me to do, but I should have put it in. That Rabbi Rackman argues that the, that the Safra law la by Nida and by Zav is also talking about creating a zone of privacy. There are certain things that you determine it for yourself. Uh, you can. I'm not going to discuss whether it's correct or not. You should know that Rabbi makes this argument, and then you can. There, there are truva truva in Hilchos Nida that um, still really really upset me. That so violate any such argument that it's hard for me to make it. But I'm also open to somebody making the claim that those truva were you know reflect unfortunate practices, and actually the purpose of a sefer la is to preserve privacy for them. Um, Okay, I just couldn't do it. Um, I think that you know, that what he, what the overall argument points out that is valuable is so. Okay, Mishpati right? He's not saying that as Americans we would instinctively think, oh, right, what's driving people's interpretation here is that is that goal of Mishpati We do get that um, that sometimes our goal, both you know, which which we can we can evaluate in different ways, is to construct a value that is compatible with the norms of the society we're in. Now, I think we can criticize that as Rabbi Bleich does as Me Tooism, right? Uh, or we can frame it the way Dr. Friedman does as a desire to be participate in the ethical discourse of the community to which we belong. Right? Or we could frame it as trying, you know, as those those are both those are both external facing things. Or you can say internally, look, this is where our community is, and you have to pass into the community you have. And right, there's always choices in halacha, and to paskin, you know, to build a halacha for our community based on assumptions that the community doesn't share. When it's possible to construct a halacha that is built on assumptions we do share, it's just uh, is is methodological error in different ways. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are all, but I think it's worth thinking about. And then you know, it could be that our goal is aside from the question of whether we have academic as opposed to psak goal, but even as um, as a community, it could be our goal is much simpler. We want to know what God wants us to do. Mm -hmm. Without any such frame, and we we just want right because we exist in pristine um, isolation from all the communities around us, and right we're just yeshiva students, and so we just want to know what the right thing to do is, and it might be that you know that that sometimes when we go out and meet other people who are sadly influenced by the ways of the secular world, we might have to adapt our our behavior to them, but we really want to know right what is right, so that would be a, that that would be a, a totally different agenda. Okay, so we should think about what those agendas are. Um, and you know, in that there, there are article ar arguments we'll see of, of other kinds also about why you know it's like it's easy to say that Rabbi Gershom is not about privacy. Rabbi Gershom is about the viability of international commerce. Mm -hmm. We don't have the original text. It's hard to right. Know. We don't know. We don't know. Right. So right. So it's clearly possible to do that. Okay. So that moves us to Roshavsky, uh, who um, who um, who we do have. Uh, right, so he says, 
um, very, very explicitly that in the area of privacy, uh, which I, um, I think, I don't have a way of disagreeing with him descriptively. In the area of privacy, the attempt to generate an abstraction out of the details of the law is imitative, meaning that it develops in it develops in um, in Jewish law in specific response first to the development in American law um, and the way in which that the way in which that development is incorporated to constitutional law. It's stimulated by a specific notion, which is right, which is an American public realization that the that the, the that um, computer data storage change, right, changes, changes the world in certain ways. And Rabbi Lam is, is there to testify to the, uh, right, to, uh, to the Senate about that. Uh, so I think if one were to claim that descriptively, nobody made a, this kind of argument for a general right to privacy in, uh, in Halakha before the stimulus of Griswold, or, right, or the case of the other Griswold, that seems to be descriptively true. Um, you can argue, okay, but you know, would it matter to us if nobody made such an argument about Nazikin before, right, before whatever legal system happened to exist in, in, in Babylonia or right, or the, the national was? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Yeah, we can argue that as long as if we think that the method used is the same as the method in Babakama, so what? Uh, we could say it's right? Dishmaya. I'm I'm into Siyata Dishmaya arguments about how certain kinds of issues come up in the context where the answers are likely to be like I'm, you know, I think that. We should be great, very, very grateful that certain kinds of, that lots of questions about relations between Jews and non-Jews first arose in, in the United States, where we have different conceptions about relationships with them. The law of is likely to turn out better than if those issues had first arisen in the context of, you know, of uh, pogrom society. Uh, we would much likely just say much harsher things that are, would not be defensible and make it very hard to live in a society like America. Uh, with all due awareness that the precedents for America often are, um, our late 19th century, early 20th century Germany. And so we should, you know, what has to be cautious about. Also, I say, I have, I have at home, I have a, a mission of printed in um, the 1920s in Berlin, which uh, collects all the kind of McCarthy about relationship with non Jews that I would. And so it's useful to read it on occasion. Um, okay, but I, I still, you know, I'm an American exceptionalist, I'm frank about that. Uh, the American is an incredible thing, an incredible, incredible thing. Um, America is an incredible thing? Yes, I think America is an incredible thing. I think that it's uh, the Dishmaya that Torah came to America because Torah is so much better for having it in America. Uh, you know, we didn't succeed in making it the broad, you know, it's our failure that we didn't succeed in making the Torah applicable throughout across the Jewish community, but Torah, uh, but Torah is still better for having it in America. Uh, I hope that many, many of the contributions made in America will. You know, even if the American Jewish community doesn't survive forever, but the, the contributions made by the American community will survive in Torah. To some extent, they have, just by the influence of Torah in American society. And, 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 and Israeli society, and Israeli society has, um, has, you know, has, has pushed, has the Mishpati Dream movement, so it has impact that. Um, okay, so that's a, so, so Rebbe Shavsky um, puts a particular frame on this. He says, uh, there's a, there is a category of law, which we call constructing law, and right, he wants to argue that constructing law is a legitimate technique in uh, in halacha as it is in other legal systems. And what you, when, his, when his process of construction is very similar to what Erlichstein talks about as being as being the content of the Rishonim as opposed to the authority. 
Right? You take ideas that are implicit, although they have never been recognized, never been stated or recognized as such. Um, right? So that's a right? that's a category for where it's, it's category. Mm -hmm. Would right. Rabbi say that the content of the Rishonim has force? I think he says has force, but not authority, which gives you a lot more freedom. I think that's right. You, know, you can't. You, you can't. You, know, you can. I think he would say that you have much more right to paskin like the Meiri against um, against uh, the Rambam in areas that are merely implicit, because you're not dealing with the authority of the Rambam. In the same way, but you have to make a decision. I don't think he thinks it's illegitimate to extend law to areas that were not covered explicitly by the Rishon. That's what post can do. But I think you make you can make the decisions in different ways. Um, I think one might see that as an example. I have not done it in, in a long time. You might see that his brother Daniel has an article as an example of that. Um, his his abortion thing is also an interesting. An interesting piece in that regard, um, where I don't know that he makes the argument on the basis that he makes an argument on the basis of authority in quite the same way as he would in most contexts. But also, he didn't normally see himself as a pussy. So, when he in areas where he got involved, it's much more likely to be areas like this. Um, but it's, you know, I think I think there hasn't been any like sustained analysis of Rebuchenstein as a pussy, um, and, and that might be desideratum at some point. Able to think about how he does law when he actually has to do law. Those he has a private post that there's a lot of, but you know, but how Rebbechstein changes when he engages in social issues and how he deals with halacha. Uh, you know, we could also deal with the uh, with the renting renting to non-Jews. Uh, although I'm a little bit nervous about that because that was that was probably like the first example where his rhetoric was less temperate than one would have expected based on the past. Uh, and so that's it was important at the time. You know, it was it was a response to the claim that it was you know that people were claiming that it was forbidden to rent to, uh, to rent to rent even in mixed cities and there was all sorts of issues and so his response is very important but it was I think it, it felt even at the time it felt it felt uncharacteristically intemperate and then in retrospect when you saw that as a, when you saw it as a pattern coming over the next over the next several years that things got more and, got more and more intemperate when it makes me a little nervous about invoking it fully. Uh, you know that, right, that because of the Parkinson's, like, yeah, less emotional control as time went off. <laughs> in any case, um, that you have to figure out when. That, that's the first article. Even though it was very important, it was the first article that, that made me nervous. Um, okay. So, Kharbashevsky uh, argues that, um, is, you know, and here, here um, he relates to um, an idea that shows up in, in Robert Cover, where I think we saw Robert Cover quoted in one of the articles we read yesterday, did we not? Some quoted at some point. We saw yeah. quoted today in the Beverly Hills. Uh, so yeah. also, also Friedman, I think, quoted quoted Cover at the end of the Friedman's. Definitely Friedman someone quoted. Yeah, I okay. think so. So this is probably something, no most of narrative is probably something that you have to read at some point just because everyone's going to quote it at you. Um, the Beverly Hills thing references a book. He wrote about Jewish law. I didn't know he wrote one. Cover wrote a book? Not just a, not just that not just that article. I, I don't know. It could be. Between... Could be. His most famous article is called Nomos and Narrative, and it's part of a broader question about whether law is uh, you know, law is a self-contained thing. It's a kind of anti-Shalacha piece in a certain sense, or whether law is a reflection of historical experience in certain ways. Uh, you know, laws are, law, law is always an instant, a concretization of Agada, as opposed to Agada being an abstraction from law. 
Um, and that to make it meaningful, it always has to be situated in the context of a narrative. I get that. I'm very shallow at it. I read it once probably, um, but you should know everyone's always going to quote it at you. And so Wachowski argues that what Warren and Brandeis did in their article, which we started with, was to create a narrative, right? This is how the law has moved. And now we can understand the law is different at different points in time, and that might create a grave crisis for you because isn't the law supposed to be metahistorical, all sort of things like that? The answer is no. The law has a self, and the self exists over time. Right, just like you are different at different points in time, right? But you can tell a narrative which which gives you a consistent mm -hmm. eye. I mean, Warren and Brennan are in common law. Right. And they tell you how it developed, right? It's with you know, they have they have a story. Right. And once you have a story, right? So this is this is a, a general um a general thing in modern philosophy. Uh, everyone always has the problem of what makes an eye continuous over time, right? Why are you still why are you you? Uh, if Sartre argues you're not, right, that's really is right, that Sartre argues that Descartes is wrong when he says cogito ergo sum, because by the time you get to the, the thing that's thinking about whether you're thinking is not the same eye as the eye that was thinking, uh, right, so all there is in, in Sartre is continuous, continual unrelated states of consciousness, which has, creates a fascinating school of therapy, like how you, get, how you do therapy without, on the assumption there's no such thing as continuous self is really quite astounding thing, but yet there is a school called existentialist therapy. Um, which I would let someone else I let someone else explain, uh, but the um, right so just as we right one one uh, very modern answer is that the self is constituted by a narrative. You tell a story, and if you recognize yourself, right if if it were if it were in a novel, you would say, oh, this is the same character as the last character. Uh, you know, kind of an interesting test like what happens if the character changes name in the middle. Right, if the character changes name in the middle, do you still recognize it as the same character or not? Friend? Character does chuva. Character does chuva, right? That might be a way to character does it. Um, or it might be that you know what, you know, the author slipped on occasion. Uh, Walter Kaufman has examples in Faust where uh, where Goethe, you know, he wrote it, apparently rewrote it again like 30 years later and just and changed the names of the characters, but forgot to change some of the earlier ones. Uh, or War and Peace, where everybody has five nicknames. <laughs> uh, right? Everything may be right, which uh, right. So you recognize but right. You, you recognize which character is which, right? You know, not just because the character was Elizabeth last chapter is Betty this chapter, but because the character is recognizably the same. So you, right? So we constitute yourself that way. So the way we constitute, we can, you constitute yourself that way. You can constitute a legal tradition that way. What we call the Masoret, but the Masoret doesn't have to be the same thing. It just has to be part of a story, right? So, um, right? So that's what Ward and Brandeis do. And uh, so Roshowski argues that what we, the, you know, that we need to do in halacha also is to constrain, if you want to have a right of privacy, it would be best if you could construct a story about how that, how that was instantiated in different societies. Oh, look, this is a society where Hezekiah was the way in which, right, in which to do it, right? It would be a useful way to have a narrative. Now, he has a particular narrative of progressive halacha, which we might not be, right? Uh, you know, there, there are, you know, there are evolutionary progress narratives, right? So I am, I am not a progressive. Uh, right? I don't believe in any kind of inevitable, con inevitable progress within any system towards improvement. So it's very hard for me to constitute, right, to constitute a progressive narrative. Um, but other people might not, right? People, let's say, you know, let's say when um, Rabbi Lam, astonishingly, at the end, um, towards the end, uh, bought into the narrative about slavery as an evil that was only Torah tolerated, and that the goal of the Torah was to move 
was to move toward, you know, which is also narratively tell about the uh, American constitution, right? The American constitution was, you know, was instituted at, with the goal of the abolition of slavery and the assumption that over time slavery would die out, but the belief that confronting it violently now would be worse, would be worse than doing it, right? So we put, so we, so we have a sunset provision, right? International importation of slaves only permitted until, until 18, whatever it is. And then it turned out that that assumption, the assumption was wrong because they couldn't have accounted for the cotton gin. Mm. Right, but the cotton gin is 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 you know is a break in what was a coherent narrative of what the law was supposed to be, and by the same token, right, if every landmark is this about slavery, right, obviously there are going to be societies where where too many Jews are owning where more Jews are owning slaves than they did in the society previously between the mm -hmm. time of the time of Chumash and the right. For example, when everyone right, you know, like the culmination of the biblical narrative is when Yirmiyah says to everybody, "Send your slaves free," and then oops, they'll take them all back. Right, that's bad. That's an interruption in the progressive narrative. But it's fine. It's an interruption in the progressive narrative. But you still have a progressive narrative. Right? We're still moving from a society which sees slavery not as a wrong to a society which sees slavery as a wrong, but is not yet capable of extirpating it. Um, right. Whereas you, you might a different narrative would say that you know the same way of the argument of the Ramam and Kurbanos, Right. Do we say that you know the goal is to move towards a society in which animal sacrifice is no longer seen as religious good? And so, you know, and you, and you build up your life around Rav Kook on, you know, is only the minchas that are going to come back and not the other ones, which is in the Rav Kook Sidur. Um, or do you say, no, they're almost talking about an eternal human need and they're always, at every side, he has to make his choices. And, you know, as Deborah points out frequently, we know, it's a weird society which thinks animal sacrifice is a truly horrible thing, but eats enormous amounts of meat and raises... The general opinion is, Rav Kook's opinion, he's like a minority. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No, that, that doesn't mean. Of course, I know, I'm open to that. It's a narrative, but you can build your whole life around it. You can construct the narrative. Right. I don't think anyone would argue that um, getting rid of anyone who does Ishii Fatora would be a bad thing. I don't know. It happens right now. We have no particular temptation that way. But, um, but you know, sometimes you look at a. You have to, right, you, in order to defend Ishii Fatora in Rashi's terms, you have to say that if you don't allow it, worse things happen. Right. And. The amount of people that get raped and. Armies. It's really high. It's, it, you said we have no temptation now. It's like the opposite. No, we don't have a temptation to legalize it now. Mm. Right? Nobody. Well, that's not rape. They should get that Well, that's the question, right? It's legalized rape is probably the right, the best way to describe it. No, I mean, depends yeah. which way you hold. Is it? I'm, right? not, I'm not saying we should do it, but I'm just saying it's not. It's not like it's not an issue in armies today. It is. No, it's and it is. But you know, what Tanya says, but nobody wants to. Nobody, nobody wants to undo it and say, "Well, we really need to right to, to enforce issues of Astora nowadays, right?" Instead of what we have in law, which is we simply ban, right? We ban it outright, right? You don't. We don't. We're not matter issues of Astora for the Israeli army. We say, right? You have to keep. Why your, we put women and men in the same army? That's a different issue, right? Which might, might or might not, you know, help prevent rape. I don't know. Um, at least of the other army, but. Um, because we have problems in our own army, um, in this American army, massive problems with sexual harassment within the military. Uh, and right, you know, right, that there's... Right, you know, so the, and, and an American army where most of women and men together. Right, I'm saying, so I don't know what the... Like, I, don't know. I don't know what the outcome is, but the point... The, the, so Bob Schroeder was against... Well, okay, fine, I assumed that he was against. <laughs> I very much assumed he was against. I, I, the very few Orthodox rabbis were in favor uh, of mixed units as opposed to as opposed to drafting women. Um, but, um, but I would say, like, you know, I don't know, right? You know, it, what we have now is a military code that is very beautiful when it is enforced and seems to be enforceable <laughs> in uh, in certain kinds of con in certain kinds of contexts for certain kinds of armies. And then we also have contexts, you know, where rape is still a weapon, 
Right? There are lots of civil wars where rape is a weapon, mm. or wars of conquest where rape is a weapon in very in very in various places. And maybe you could try to get interesting fastor in there. That would make life a lot better. I don't know. Or maybe the whole point is that they're uncontained and there's no there's no code code whatever you could you could try to enforceably build in. And I think that's an open I, one would like to believe that you know, I guess war advances to the, you know in the, in the end of the day right if we have wars where everybody kills everyone else by you know from sitting sitting inside bunkers and nobody ever sees each other, so it's very likely that you could, you know, that that a war conducted totally wholly by drones will have very little sexual assault. Um, is that an improvement? <laughs> I don't. Know. I, I didn't mention that in my article. I probably should have mentioned that, that as a uh, as a moral advantage of wars conducted by drones. Yeah. We could hope for that too. Yeah, right? but, yeah. but we have laws of war, right? That's also a question, right? You know, the halacha, right? Really, you know, the 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 milchama is a really great pasuk, but then it's kind of followed by we'll all get together and we'll go wipe out the we'll go wipe out the plishtim. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the the continuation of the pasuk always bothers me deeply, and it's tempting to try and you know compose a song that way. <laughs> right. um, yeah, sometimes okay, you, right. sometimes so, things so. will run away of their own accord. Pardon? Pushkin will run away of their own accord. Uh, they'll run away and then we'll take this place. Uh, okay, if that works for you, if that works for you, if the only problem of war is right, is the violence, it's also an issue. Um, it's a smaller issue. Okay, fine. Um, Okay, right. So Ward and Brandeis began their search by um, presenting a. Uh, okay, sorry, sorry. There's there a few quotes I think from uh, Lashavsky. I think are worthwhile. Said, Although the biblical Talmudic sources of halacha do not refer explicitly to a concept of privacy, modern scholars of Jewish law argue for the <coughs> implicit existence of that concept in halachic tradition. So how one deals with the notion of an implicit concept is a uh, is a is a big issue. In much the same way, the American jurists have made their argument regarding the common law. For this, right, also regarding the constitutional law. Right? For this reason, an examination of the writings of, of, as, of those jurists as well as the arguments of their opponents offers a useful comparison to the writings of halachists. I obviously agree, because we did that. Uh, to what extent has either group succeeded in demonstrating the substantive existence of a right or concept or value called privacy, despite the absence of that concept in their own legal sources? Right? That, I think, is a good statement of the question. Uh, Ward and Brandeis begin the, began their search by presenting a controlling historical narrative, a story of the law as a constantly developing entity. So that I think is a is a big issue um, in terms of halacha. Is that the kind of story that you can tell about halacha and be convincing? In many orthodox contexts, that is the kind of story that prima facie disqualifies you. Right? The goal is to present the halacha as an absolutely static thing, and you have to claim it was always there, just not everybody realized it. Mm -hmm. Right, so it might be that you have to tell an entirely different, an entirely different story about halakha, and it depends who you're talking to. Right, so I, I don't think I would set it up as 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 starkly a contrast between progressive and orthodox halakha um, as perhaps you know some might. Um, I think you know the discussions Rabbi Lam and, and Rabbi and uh, Rabbi Rabinovich about slavery, um, and I think you know interestingly, I think if you I think if you look like pre nineteen pre-1950 or even 60, at the way pub public orthodoxy presents itself, narratives of development are really quite common and nobody questions them. And then there comes a period of about 40 years uh, when Allah man takes, and a particular understanding of Allah man takes over the world. And all of a sudden, you know, narratives of development in Allah don't 
coherent orthodoxy and are seen to be are seen to be deeply problematic. Um, and for good reason, and I think that's that's also true, you know, much more strongly in um, in uh, Europe in the late 19th century with Askelahitz, when all of a sudden, mm-hmm. right, when Zachariah Frankel's, um, you know, when you get caught up in Zachariah Frankel. And now I happen to have gone to Breuer's, which is still fighting Zachariah Frankel, and YU, which was very much that that era. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand, and I, I, my instinct is also to recoil from narratives of development. But as from a historical perspective, I can recognize that that is the product of, have, of a particular kind of education. Uh, you can tell, and I can tell a story about the development of ideology about halacha, <laughs> uh, even if I don't tell stories about the development of halacha as such. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to decide for yourself where you know. And if you want to develop a narrative of change, you certainly the, you know the obvious precedents are Rabbi Lamin Rabinovich about slavery, uh, um, the Rambam about uh, the Rambam about Kurbanos, Various arguments, lots of people have tried to make about Amalek. Um, mm-hmm. Right? They're all right. Um, Fator, right? As uh, Asani said, there are lots. There are lots of ways to do that that have been done in Orthodox contexts. Um, they're not usually done. Uh, even Rabbi Karen Ben Gershom about about polygamy and the divorce and, and divorce against the woman's will. Right? Those are all. Those right? Those are all. We don't usually tell that story that. In the Halcyon days of youth, right, men could marry whoever they wanted and divorce whoever they wanted. Unfortunately, owing to right a combination of economic exigencies and Christian influence, right, the Jews were forced to embrace monogamy, and right and uh, right and mm. and and divorce of that sort, right and right. Now I do tell a story, for example, uh, which I think is correct. Which you know I, I try to tell my story, think are correct uh, about halachic divorce law, which. Said, which, which says there's only one culture in the ancient Near East that requires a receipt for the woman. Hmm. And that tells you that the purpose of the Torah was in, right, in was setting up a divorce system which women could were no longer subject to their husband's will after they were divorced. Right? Divorce was supposed to was supposed to grant genuine freedom. Hmm. And right, so you get right, so you gave a receipt and that you gave a receipt that was great. And then you have a different thing, right? That's what a get is. A get is a receipt. Mm-hmm. A woman hangs up with a piece of paper that she can use to prove she's divorced, oh, okay. as opposed to if you just say you are divorced from me, okay. right? Then the husband can say I didn't divorce you, right? So then the problem is that it also the Torah sets up very clearly that there is a right to be divorced, right? That you're not, mm-hmm. you're not it's not it's not permanent marriage. And the problem is the right to the, the right the 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 insistence that divorce generates. Absolute, right, absolute certain right, freedom from counterclaims and the right to be divorced conflict when husbands and wives live apart. Because now, right, because now the husband, the only way, so now we have to move away from the husband, from the husband um, writing the document in the presence, in the presence of the wife. So, that, so we develop the as a solution, which, which preserves the right to divorce and also generates a viable receipt that can't be, right? And so I think I, I have, I, you know, you can watch my you can watch my uh, video on a reintroduction to Jewish divorce law, um, right? So I tell a story about um, about, uh, about about divorce law, which is yeah, which is a story of constant values, and but okay, right? But development of legal me- but constant development of legal mechanisms, right? As 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 society changes, we're constantly finding ways to maximize both the ability to get out of bad marriages and the assurance that. That every divorce leads to right, every divorce leads to permanent uh, to permanent security, right? So that's a, that's you know so that's an example of doing that. Um, I might try with perhaps less success to 
to argue that Hilchus Nida is about women preserving uh, sexual autonomy, uh, which other people, you know, that's not my Kiddush, but you can read my, you can watch my essay on the reintroduction to Hilchus Nida and see, and see if that, you know, there's more counter evidence to that one, whereas I think in the, I think that involves more choosing, which is fine. I bask in according to all the visions that I like uh, <laughs> on that one. I think it's reasonable. I just think mm-hmm. they're right. Whereas opposed by Gittin, I think that's, I think it's fundamentally correct. I think that's what, I think that's what Hilchus Gittin are and that there's very little counter evidence uh, until the modern era. And I think the people who don't pass in accordance to that narrative modern era are just wrong. Um, you know, anyone who, who issues a psak that that doesn't account for the necessity of making sure that the wife... The that wife modern is modern era in America, like in other countries, these issues are still real. They're still real in America too. Yeah. I mean, but even more in other countries. No, so not in divorce. Okay. Divorce, divorce is real everywhere. No, uh, I mean like like this whole like preserving the rights of women. It's it's even worse in other places. Yeah. Uh, in Halakha? Anyway, from what I've read. Yeah, probably because no, like in third world countries, let's say women have like oh, very oh yeah, yeah, the other cultures, other cultures yeah, other than other Judaism. Cultures, yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. We're still very you know if if only all Jews lived in uh, right, lived in third world countries, Halakha would be unquestionably progressive. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, but that's, you know, we don't want to do that, right? right. We don't really want to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's. I think it's still more progressive. Yeah. Than... A lot of places, but not America. Yeah. You think what? You think American law is more progressive? But I don't know. The progressive is a good thing. Oh, okay. right. right, that is the issue. That, right, that. But you know, that women have more freedom, and you know, under American law, than they do under Allah in certain ways. You have divorce on demand, right? In in America, right? Women can just initiate divorce. Yeah, but that's and, like very recent. Awesome. Yeah. 45 years. Say it's only like, yeah. 50 years. Okay. 50 years. We're okay, still, so you know, if you're progressive, we're behind, right? So you can say, let's rush, let's catch up. Or you can say, you know what, this is, let's go, you know. Yeah, but now we have the, what is it called? The... So the, that's a whole debate whether the, whether the prenup does it or not. Uh, those of us who are in favor of the prenup will deny that it creates divorce on demand. Uh, it's supposed to, except for everybody. So you say prenup is still less progressive than American law? Yeah. Modern... On that, sure. Mm-hmm. Prenup does not. It's you know it doesn't provide there are all sorts of cases in which women are still which still are still at least theoretically vulnerable like a very rich husband. Wait, why why can't you divorce a Because the prenup is only if only creates a financial disincentive to stay married. If you're willing to pay it, the prenup doesn't help you. So wait, so if you if you marry a very rich husband, then you know, the husband is willing to pay fifty four thousand dollars a year to you up front to uh, rather than divorce you. So then there you are. So you can't get divorced in that situation? Under the- you can't, the prenup will not help you get divorced in that situation. Um, except that, you know, generally the rule is that husbands who sign prenups are, but it but really- It not help to get divorced, that's what I'm getting. It, it won't help abate it. Good, so you're a good American, but Aloha doesn't, yeah. but that, so Aloha hasn't caught up with you. Right, Aloha hasn't caught up with you. Uh, we, right, we're trying. <laughs> Uh, perhaps, right? Most of us are trying. Uh, we just can't let the others find out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still my favorite quote for over a couple of It's my, if you sign the prenup, we can talk about it. Okay. If you sign the prenup, you generally, that means you, you understand as a moral commitment to not using the guy as a weapon. And so the prenup that usually doesn't have to be enforced against anybody who signed it. 
and the real issue is getting so them to sign. How can like a, an actual like person now get married like a Jew? With a Jewish wedding and not have these problems because of suggestions. Sign the prenup. But you said it's not going to help. It does. We don't know of any case in which so it, marry a poor person. We don't. We don't know of any case in which it has not in which in which the prenup has not been effective in the end. But mostly, it's because people who sign the prenup are are, are understand that they're making a moral commitment not to use the get as a weapon. Wait, what? People. How, how can legally this situation never occur like these days? There's it, no way. It hasn't happened. So you have to have like. It hasn't happened. So, you know, when it, no one, no one rich enough to afford that has gone right has gone to court trying. Forty thousand dollars a year. That's like my money. Yeah, like... it's true. We should up it. <laughs> we should up it. I guess we can have this conversation. You can ask this conversation after Okay, but um, generally it works for now. Um, generally it works for now. Um, there are, you know, it'd be better if we had something that would work always, forever, no matter what. Particularly if you're going to Canada, it's always worked so far. <laughs> if you're going to Canada, well, it works. In the, it works. There's never been a situation where something happened. There are no long-term Aguna situations of people who sign the prenup. The prenup. Mm -hmm. Long-term. Um, the, the, the prenup so far has had a hundred percent success rate. There are no. There, there are no people. Long-term. So well, people, you can be black, right? Sazmin can say no, and you can right, and and it, you have to, and it, you have to go to court, so it takes time. But eventually, eventually, so far as I know, there are no cases of women who have, let's say, had, you know, let's, let's define it as a year, if you will, where they've had to wait a year uh, after asking for the get and then forcing the prenup to get the get. So far as I know. So far as I know. Okay, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm happy to say that. Um, more than that, I, more than that, I can't say. And 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 Toronto is a problem. Canada is a problem because you can't you can't enforce the prenup in Canada. Because Canada has a rule against compelling arbitration in religious courts. So Canada has its own special. Canada has its own law, though, which is the right, which is which is much better than the prenup. So there's a whole. Right, so there's a whole. Uh, but then mm. the, so the question is whether the Canadian whether the Canadian Batidin will will accept the authority of the mm. of, of the Canadian law or if you if women invoke that or not. And that's a whole debate about whether whether the Batidin in Canada or at least in, in Ontario are willing to. Um, Allow the Canadian law, which really does do um, the Canadian law, the, the Toronto law, so far is that uh, any husband who has who refuses to re to remove the barriers to the wife's remarriage is not entitled to make any pleadings in divorce court. So if you right, so if you go to if you go to divorce court and you haven't and you and you refuse to get, then the wife automatically wins every motion she files. Okay. So that's a pretty serious thing. Actually, automatically, or you know. Really automatically, legally, the judge decides a bad motion. I imagine legally, the judge decides a bad motion, but you're right. But the but the husband, but you have to be towing for him. Uh, the husband's the husband's the husband, the husband's signers are not are not accepted per se. That seems like a final. And certainly, the husband can't initiate anything. Yeah, yeah, it's a very it's an excellently designed law, which was done. You know, it's excellently designed law. But, you know, anything else depends on reality. Do people whether the Beijing use it or not? And I, I don't know. I have not asked the Beijing directly, and um, I have heard very, very conflicting reports about about what it uh, what it does or doesn't do. It is an excellent way of designing it, assuming that Beijing will take it, right? But theory doesn't help at all. There is, you know, I have tried to design something for you know for for us as well. You know, I have designed, I think, a, a you know, a clause which is now accepted by by uh, by Ora and Schechter and all that, which I think is a really great thing, which we need to, which is prenup stage two, which is to make sure that any couple, at the moment they initiate divorce, signs a signs an agreement that um, committing to um, to giving the get before the divorce becomes final. 
and I, I found a mechanism for, to make that enforceable also. So that you can write, right, so you just create public pressure. Mm. You're, you're signing for divorce, you have to sign this document. And then you know that there's not going to be a, an iguana situation that goes past the civil divorce. I still don't understand like the whole thing with the money. Like, what does that have anything to do if the husband says, like, oh, I'll give you a lot of money every year? What does that have anything to do with okay, the Okay, so afternoon. Okay. Afternoon. You can ask the question. I'm happy to go through the period of length, but not not, not for any minutes here. Um, okay. Um, for the next issue we have to talk about is um, whether privacy means anything at all. Right? That was an opening question. Right? Is there a formulation? So I cheated. And I uh, set it up from the very beginning as an intuitive mm -hmm. sense, right? Does this, I didn't ask you for rigorous, for, right, for rigorous formulations of what exactly the law of privacy is. And if you look at the critiques, right? So the claim is that nobody has actually ever succeeded in formulating the right to privacy to cover everything they want to cover in a, in a way that would stand up in a prescription. Sure. Um, right, so you have right, so right, um, uh, right, Salovey's line is privacy seems to be about everything and therefore it appears to be nothing. Um, Judith Jarvis and Thompson, uh, sorry, McCarthy, Thomas McCarthy on the rights of publicity and privacy says, like the emotive word freedom, privacy means so many different things to so many different people that it has lost any precise legal connotation that it might once have had. Uh, okay, so that's a, that is, right, that is a, uh, a viable um, counter argument. And the question you have to ask is, so how rigorous do I have to be? Uh, if you have a very modern conception that the the goal of philosophy fundamentally is to formulate is to try to formulate intuitions, but that you can't yet formulate it doesn't mean that the intuition isn't right. It just means you haven't succeeded in the formulation. So it might be that law, you know, you do your best, right? You muddle through until you have the you know the same as imsak, right? If I haven't nailed down exactly what melechus melchavis means, does that mean I can't paskin that shabbos depends on melechus melchavis? Yes, but aside from that, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a mess right now that as it is, in general, you know, what I've done in many summers, right, is I banned certain terms from the conversation because they're just muddling. Uh, like when we did Lashon Hara, I, you, know, you were not allowed to quote the Chavis Chaim because the Chavis Chaim was end the conversation at the beginning. So you could, you, right, so if the Chavis Chaim quoted somebody, you could quote that person, but you were not allowed to quote, but the entire summer, you were not allowed to quote directly for the Chavis Chaim because that accomplished nothing. Um, right, so there are words, right? Sometimes you have to ban certain words from the conversation. Um, so it might be that in different, you know, that if I did this again, I would ban the word privacy because the word privacy just, you know, stands for something that we believe is a concept, but we don't know what it means anymore. So you have to do something else. And I don't think Pratyut would help. Um, but I think that's a, that, that is a, um, yeah, I, Lachis Machavis irks me because I think people use it in way, with absolutely no concept behind it at all. It's just become a, a, a talisman. When you, don't, when, you want to, when you want to claim something with Shabbos without explaining it, you just say, oh, that's just a dinner with Lachis Shabbos. And I, I, my own efforts have utterly failed to come up with anything resembling a coherent understanding of what Lachis Shabbos is, but it might be that I'm due for a helpless Shabbos of uh, SVM. And, but I, I think, in general, whenever in conversations about about Hilchus Shabbos, I ban the words the term Hilchus Shabbos. You're not allowed to use it. You have to come up with some translation of it that actually means something. Still have yet to understand the difference between the Russian and the Tavian and Okay, that's right. There, there, I think are, there are a number of different possibilities. Just I've, read, I've read plenty of people. Who yeah, the difference never understood them. Good, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. And then there's Gnevat Dot, as it's been defined in different ways. Right, so there's at least has like we know there are two right. coherent meanings, right? The question is whether the meaning that it means that you know the, right. the meaning that means uh, stealing someone's thoughts is a uh, right, is a meaning that is attested 
um, <laughs> exactly. and, and the tradition outside there, right? So they don't really have a choice. But it's not like imagine yeah. a world where everybody has been using the Chikkei Lev um, you know, as precedent for you know for two hundred years without ever explaining how it relates to the other topic. That would just be a mess. Uh, that would just be a mess. What's the next thing you can do, right? Does it relate to? Does it refer to telepathy? Does it relate? Uh, right? Does it refer? Right? Are you allowed to? Let's see. Are you allowed to jump uh, wide receivers' routes, or what you're doing is you're predicting what he's going to do next, which is the Nevis does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you're doing? With, right? Huh. Maybe by stepping onto the football field, they wave their. Uh... Maybe right. Maybe seven the they wave their rights. Okay. Right. Maybe it has to be Bada and not Suffolk. Uh, maybe you can do, right. It's not a specific thought, but it's a pattern. Maybe they're doing without thinking, so it's okay. Right? But if they, but if there's a wide receiver, wide receiver who are consciously thinking about it, so they'll have to go, will have to interview each wide receiver to see, do you actually plan your routes very deliberately, or just react, or just react to the situation? Like, well, hey. if you're doing an impulse also, if you watch the film before it's fine. If I care, no, no, right. If, if, if you're right, if they, if they, if they, if they, if they're doing an impulse, then it's not going to be us because there's no does. No, the, but, but if, you, if you're watching a film, you're not understanding their dot, you're understanding the pattern of previous behavior. Ah, I see. So whether you were doing it then, right? Whether you, right. So the question is, is it in that you have to have a thought? That they have to have a thought? That their thought has to be transferred to your thought? Right? Does it become mutter as long as, you know, if you, right, if you construct another pattern, but that pattern turns out to be wrong? <laughs> we have lots of fun. We have lots of fun. Um, all right. <laughs> that for the perm edition. Um, we you find writing an article about Kevin Dawson's in uh, in sports? Obviously, you know, stealing signals is a much bigger deal, right? <laughs> but is that really what the issue is? Stealing signals, <laughs> that was a discussion. right? It would really be. <laughs> I have wanted for years. I never really, one of my my ambitions for an SBM or for some other context is is uh, he'll, is um, cheating in sports because every sport has thing. Right? Every sport has legitimate and illegitimate cheating. Like sign steal, right? Like baseball is amazing, right? Yeah. You can steal the signs, you just can't steal signs using technology. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. <laughs> is that an amazing thing? Or is, is like Yogi Berra bringing the, the ball with shoe shine out of the dugout to prove, right, to prove that the um, that the batter was the batter was that, that the ball actually hit the batter's shoe, but no one had ever known whether it was the right ball or not. And you might imagine no one would actually break right, because he just brought a ball out of the dugout. <laughs> he could have just kept on his shoe. But in the moment he walked over the umpire, it's look, the umpire didn't question it. You might just you might you might laugh like don't ever do that. But there was an amazing film a couple of years ago where a guy dives into the sands to catch a ball and realizes that he missed the ball, but the, the person whose CD whose CD's in caught a ball earlier, grabs <laughs> grabs the ball from the guy and ends up going like this. I would have fooled everybody. I think he might even have gotten fooled the other, but they have the replay and they can see him taking the ball out, out of the guy's seat, but he gave his up. Ah. So is that legitimate or illegitimate? You know, is it gamesmanship? Or is it uh, or is it cheating? Ah. Right. I love the concept of rule of you know, of rules of the game that you're supposed to break. But only right, but there are rules about how but there are rules about how you could right how you could break the rules. Like driving over the speed limit. <laughs> well, driving over the speed limit is not you know, it's not clear. You know, speed limit is a great question, which we, you know, which which I never got to really talk about last year. You know, uh, but it's a, that I think is more a the Malchusa question. Right. Uh, but rules of sports are ethical questions, right? So is it is it ethical? Is it ethical? You know, like I had this as a counselor in a camp where depending on definition of Dean Malchusa, 
Maybe, <laughs> maybe. And then I think you can, you know, you can raise the ethical question more directly, uh, right? Whereas opposed to speed limits where there is no ethical reason to drive at the speed limit other than the Malfusa in an environment where the assumption is 20 miles, unless you think it's safer that way. But, right, but there's no, but per se, <laughs> right, per se, it's not a law that, you know, that's a, but when it comes to sport, you know, I, w- I went to a camp, which unfortunately we're treating was de rigueur. And so it's the, um, the question was, right, if you're the counselor and you don't cheat, then your team loses. So is it ethical to not cheat? Right, because that causes your team to lo- that causes your team to lose. Like if you live in a society where everybody steals or everybody cheats, and you don't right. do that, so then you might be very poor. Well, that's for and yourself. There's no there's no uh, what's it called food stamps in that country. Like yeah. the Soviet well, Union. That was basically right. But what happens if you're if you you hold other people's money, right? And you're competing in a you know you have other other people entrust you with money to right to play on the stock market, and right, but everyone else is using inside information. And you decide on your own ethically. No, I shouldn't use this. Okay, any case, um, fine. Okay, so right, others question the very notion of a right to privacy in the context of liberal society. A general right to be compensated against all forms of intrusion is difficult to square with the rights of free speech and expression. And actions taken to protect one's inviolate personality may well hamper the free the free flow of important of information so vital to democratic discourse. Uh, right. So that right. So it could be that. Actually, in Western liberal society, we have problems because we have counter values against privacy, and to claim that to claim that privacy is this you know, supreme value is very hard because obviously we have other rights to conflict with it. Maybe we don't have those rights. You know, is there a right to free speech in Halakha? I don't know that Halakha has any right to free speech outside of Torah. Where we do, I think, the right to free speech, uh, we know, which can be overridden, but I think we have a strong presumption towards the right of free speech in Halakha. Um, Shall I let her reject it? I'm sorry, it's terrible. Welcome, I mean, here with you in privacy. Uh, we are, we are in the summary. You can come, you can come argue if you want. <laughs> this every summary. Do you think there's a right to privacy in Halifa? Okay, interesting. Uh, my only question is, and I'll throw this in: Are we trying to fit a round peg into a, into a uh, square triangle? A round peg into a square triangle, right? Is it, <laughs> square right? triangles are shooting in the road. This is what happens when you spend just the last six hours out in the sun. You know, there's a lot of things. Okay, but you got what I'm saying. Is so, it? That's what we're talking about, right? Rabbi Lamb, Rabbi Lamb in America. As was I know, Griswold versus Connecticut. And, and, and it's almost simultaneous. Yeah. And so what we've done is show that the... I think the, Griswold versus Connecticut quoted. It quoted Rabbi Lamb. I think so, yeah. Yeah. But it's part of the same though. So, right, so I so we set up the parallel between Rabbi Lamb and uh, Rabbi Blythe and, the, two, and the, the, the majority and the dissents in Griswold. Now, what about also we talked about this a couple of years ago about... Um, by the way, I'm, I, you, know, you, you know me. You know me. You don't know me. Tanya told me you're like, uh, you deal with arrows. Yeah, I'm the air, Rob. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's like outside. Yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm not a traffic cop. No, so, so. Uh, it's the air of insurance and it's Cambridge or. And we need, so we need a, a, a catchy thing yeah. for hair cutting here. Uh, oh, you saw my hair cutting. Oh, yeah, I haven't read it yet, but we saw oh, we had it home. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, anyway. Must be the Barbie Rob or something like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, then, the, then with the question we discussed, I think it's, a, you know, does the halakha have this kind of a right? Yes, so that's, that's certainly... Because uh, our black claims is with the no rights. Yeah, I think I that's... I remember a, the Rose writings, he said, uh, there, he describes rights, you know. 
That may be an overstatement what you said. You know? I think red life is a is an extreme overstatement. Yeah. In that regard, uh, and I think the you know part of the thing we talked is the rub invented, um, I guess, invented the connection between dignity and autonomy in halacha. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody, nobody made the argument as strongly as he did. Uh -huh. But I like it very much. Okay. Uh, right, you know, sort of an, an affirmative footsie board, right? Not someone else's, right? We, 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 not, let's be very careful and when it comes up, not to violate it, but that this is like something we strive for the, right, for the creation of human, right? That, that's the line in Lonely Man of Faith that I gave about uh, hospitals, right? There was no Kvota Brio before there were hospitals. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. The traveling to Boston. New York to Boston was very appropriate. Um, I, I got to get back, um, but at least I, this this officially keeps up my uh, excellent. I, right, so my I, SPM, I have a still. My SPM <laughs> uh, streak. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Thank All you right. very much. That's lucky. Good to see everybody. All right. We knew we had certain celebrity cameos. <laughs> <laughs> I should think about it as a genre. Yeah. How much does it cost to have him set up an aerob in your like backyard or in your like property? You don't want to set it up, but you, you don't want to have to do it on your property. That was well, you could do it, anyway. By all means, pay him. By all means, pay him. I don't know. Yeah, it's two thousand dollars a day. I know I think. that, like, you'll know that your aerob is closed. That's true. You would. You do it yourself. You would. Depends. And then he can sell you to set up a checking schedule for you. Adults are two thousand dollars a day for a day. I don't know. <laughs> That's a reasonable rate. Sharon can afford it, so we only we only have a day a day a year, what? and we only have him a day a year, and, and Cambridge has the same day. So day I don't know how it works. Like Cambridge is much uh, Cambridge is a much more complicated area than we are. I think hmm. that was my you also get free advertising from the area. You also get free advertising, free, sell books, all sorts of things like that. Uh, okay. Thank you for coming, Rabbi Jaffer. <laughs> uh, sorry we couldn't set it, you know, because because of the scheduling, it didn't make sense. To, uh, first, I didn't, I couldn't know in advance, and then he's coming up the last day. Well, he's teaching a class at seven, so here. Yeah. Oh, great! I didn't even know that was on the schedule. Yeah. Terrific. So that that that's a fine ending. <laughs> so is he teaching on Irvin? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Always worthwhile. They know that I'm sorry. <laughs> Always worthwhile. Yeah, I was uh, here this yesterday afternoon. He walks into the rush like. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay, he, right. You see, he got the right, he got the right question immediately. That's how you really know it's a problem. That uh, yeah. Uh, if we see If I understood it, yeah, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> That would definitely be something. I have ideas now, right? So maybe it, uh, maybe it. Now that it's no longer the master, uh, but it's the master and Sharon now, though. It's the master and Sharon now. Um, there's a fun, there's a fun pun somehow about uh, to, to, to fill the gap. <laughs> How far does this make go, really? <laughs> How far? You walking up the stairway set, which parts of the Kumi is still keep? And then that's not the mosque at all, because no one really walks, you know, seven miles in the shadows. But uh, Ryan's argument is if you know my point is you can reconstruct all of the Muslims and we do every single lot that we say the Fulam Ravana and try to figure out which one uh, it is, but you can reconstruct okay. all of the Muslims and the Jaisal. All right. <laughs> okay. You need that's... to go like park a marathon run on a golf course. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Um, so I think I think a fair question um, is do, what what counter values do we? You know, there's a critique in American society. So what counter values we have in Alpha to the right of privacy? We point out that maybe like the whole right of privacy is just you know, when you have a, a divine rule, a divine lawgiver. So right, well, right. So this, is there any is there any notion of privacy that the law can't interfere with? Right, that's a that, that's a big fetish in Halakha to say there are areas that the law can't interfere with because they're yours. I mean, there are five areas that the law does interfere with. Yeah, right. That's all right. <laughs> you know, that, that's what. I mean, that that's what's going on within the Shabbat God doesn't interfere with the privacy of your mind. In right. And as Ray Lamb's arguing about free will per se, right? Free will, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, whereas the counter argument people make is, you know, Griswold is about the right to contraceptive privacy. Uh, but halacha regulates sex in all sorts of ways, and the counterclaim is that Griswold is not really about. Right? Griswold is, you know, allows the state would allow the state to regulate the sale of contraceptives. It just didn't allow it to regulate the use of contraceptives in the sacred precincts of the marital bedroom, uh, right? So maybe there are there are areas. I think it'd be very very interesting if somebody could uh, begin the formulation. Which we Rackman tried, right? in a sense, by the suffer law, but that doesn't that again that only protects you against other people interfering in your relationship with the law. The notion that there are things that are parallel to what the Rav calls halachic morality, right? Where, right, where the where, where you can say the law can't interfere. Torah, right? Torah, Torah can be part of your life, but you can't make it law. And to argue that the reason that you can't make it law is because they're too personal, you could try, right? You can the Rav tries to do that by making them too subjective. But it would be, it would be interesting to know if you could try and move that into try and move that towards a privacy argument. Um, I don't know if you can. It might be. Okay, the counter argument is that the more you expand it, right, is that um, that uh, that there are people who, the way he frames it is, who attack the who attack the Warren Brandeis thesis as a null set. Right? There is no such thing, and their term of privacy is so vague it includes nothing. Um, right, and then some people frame it as a uh, as a, a, as a debate between. You know, briskers and non-briskers, right? Is there, right? Do you think conceptually? Do you not think conceptually? Uh, is there a single concept? Um, okay, right. So William Prosser, right, claims like that there actually is actually that actually there are there are arba dinim in in hilchos in hilchos niske, niske pratius, and you have to define them separately, and they don't actually combine to any kind of unified thing at all. Right, formulate four separate things, and it's just a terminological thing, right? It's just doing the rechaim thing. You thought these were the same thing; they're really not the same. They're not even related to each other. Right, you just happen to have accidentally used the same term for all of them, right? So that's a fair, that's a fair consideration. Uh, against Prosser, right, we're still in in uh, Wachowski. Edward Blaustein argued that privacy is a separate concept founded upon the principle of human dignity. Look at that, um, right? The Warren Brandeis concept of the inviolate personality posits the individual's independence, dignity, and integrity. It defines man's essence as unique and self-determining being. And it is because of our Western ethical religious tradition. I didn't say Judeo-Christian, but that's what he means. <laughs> uh, right? Positive such dignity and independence of will in the, in the individual that the that the common law secures to a man. Right. So now we've done that. The common law, right, is, which is a version of where we landed. Right. The common law actually emerges out of Jewish values. And what is or what what Brandeis argues about the common law is really just a rediscovery of the Masoret. And it's based on Quotabrius. Okay. Good. I'm all for it. Uh, but you can say, um, but you can decide if you, uh, or you decide if you buy it, uh, if you buy it or not. Um, 
right? So Rockover does the same thing by trying by trying and claiming that um, that there are things in halacha which are um, which you know which are the basis of it, which is why. Uh, right, so we're not coming, we're not me tooing. We're, we're we're really we're really just acknowledging that we're there first. That we're there first, right? That we're coming from Tzel Melakim, the Hafter Echakamocha, right? And Kodabrios and and Tov Shemi Shem and Tov. Okay, you can find those arguments if you uh, can be compelling if you want, and not if you and not if you don't, and you can decide um, whether Roshaski is right um, in claiming that the that really the the canons of legitimacy in both systems are right. Are the same both in, 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 in secular and religious law. The construction is a legitimate tactic, and we just do it. Um, and then Roshaski says something really interesting, which I, I thought was really cool. Um, which is the end. He says that what we have to contribute is a notion of privacy based on snoot, mm -hmm. and that a right, that a concept that a concept that a concept of snoot, um, is opposed to a society. Which sees its ultimate value as self-expression, and and privacy meaning you have the right to be yourself, and privacy meaning you have the right to express yourself, are not right. Not, right you don't have to extend the right to privacy to the right to self-expression. You can right, you can talk about privacy as a right as a as a right to self uh, to self-being, and his argument is that Kvoda Briot is a powerful idea because it. As opposed to Kodabrio assuming right being purely about autonomy, that Kodabrio can also be about privacy, and therefore, and therefore, he argues that as opposed that 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 contemporary Western law has no doesn't can't has, has a law of privacy that's kind of that loses out against the right against against the um, the right to the, the right to self expression, and that Jewish law can provide a resource to it. By um, by saying by saying that um, that that Kvarabrio and Sneer are supposed to work together to create a concept of privacy. Yes, sir. No. Okay. So that that I think is um, I think it's really I think it's really um, I think it's really worth um, reading the end of Roshaski again if you haven't if you haven't done it. I think with really you know, I'm, again I'm always interested in the way. In the areas where Allah is not made, it's not, uh, or in the areas, some people argue, but in Al-Khavero, it's not all clear that orthodoxy and non-orthodoxy have to differ. Um, hmm. right, why should we? Right, it's, I, I think that non-orthodoxy, you can argue about whether it's binding or not. Okay, that's a fundamental question, but you're going through the same process, uh, whether you're going to really in any sense to enforce it anybody. And mostly, but mostly the arguments are going to be about where the, where the law is already fixed since people think it should be different, but where the law is not yet done. So if you argue, that the current law has to come out of the existing law as it is, so then you can understand why things might, why things might be, um, might, you know, might inevitably differ. Mm -hmm. um, but if you think that you're coming from values, so then not necessarily. And then you can talk about, you know, so should it make you suspicious you're coming to the same conclusion, or should it mean, oh, look, that's really you know, likely what the Makara would mean if you didn't, right, if you didn't have to fit them into, um, right, into a past, um, into a past framework. Um, and the past framework might be just one choice among hundreds uh, that were legitimate expressions because they're shooting Right, so you have lots of ways in which theologically you could do it. Uh, at least, it, I, I find Roshavsky really interesting. That I think that his, I think his analysis, in my experience, his analysis of sources is um, unexceptionable. Uh, right, they're different. You might have different ideological frames you put on what you do with them, but his right. analysis of sources seems to me generally unexceptionable. And mm -hmm. and I think that. 
you know, so to me, it's really interesting that he ends up, uh, you know, he ends up in, I think, is a very um, recognizably orthodox place in the sense, right, that you, he's, he's making a countercultural claim, right, yeah. against, right, he's opposing reality television, mm-hmm. right, which I see as an enormously orthodox claim. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, we wanted to, like, what, in what ways could traditional society have a really positive ethical impact in this area on, on right on forget non-orthodoxy on general society the reintroduction of the idea that self-expression is not always a good and the translation of sneer into the idea that that, that self-expression is not always a good that's a huge thing so i'm a big fan of that um okay uh so then we had two other articles we had uh we had uh, Bamberger Mays and um, and Soloway. So Soloway, the, the I need a Scott for reading Soloway. Yeah, I need a to read. Okay, so I'm going to have the one sentence summary of, of Soloway that matters for us. So he distinguishes between privacy and confidentiality, and he argues that okay. privacy privacy is about the individual, and confidentiality is always about relationships, and that the law develops entirely differently if you think of the problem as Gilles Soud, as opposed to if you think of the problem the problem as Pratyut, and he argues that British law. British law, British law has chosen confidentiality as opposed to privacy, and that that's actually better, and that that would be the right. And, that, and, he, and he argues that you know that that would be a much better way for, for privacy law to develop. Um, so interesting, you can study. He has a list of nafkaminas. Um, you can look at the nafkaminas. You look at the nafkaminas. Um, I don't know that you have to choose. Yeah, why not? Oh. <laughs> well, it might say privacy. Privacy runs into the problems that you know that we've said that that yeah. it, it, it challenges other values. Right, and those are exactly those are exactly the example, the kind of example Salabe cites, right? The mm-hmm. difference between the right the knowledge and right and making the knowledge something that is a, right that is of general use. Um, right. So I think. I think it's worth reading to. Um, I think it's worth reading to see, uh, right? To see how he does it, um, and uh, you can write and then you can make your determination. Okay, so um, Bamberger and Mays. Um, I don't. I should say I do not know Professor Bamberger, um, Rabbi Dr. Mays. I do know. Very interesting person. Married to a former student of mine. Very. It's a very interesting idea. He's right. So there's. There, um, I think he probably did a lot of the technical halacha, and uh, Professor Bamberger probably did a lot of the secular law, because mm-hmm. uh, Ramez is not, so far as I know, a, a secular law, law scholar. He's a scholar of Kabbalah and Hasidus, mm-hmm. um, and I guess also into martial arts. <laughs> um, okay, so I had to, I had um, I wanted to read the, the top of page fifty-nine. Oh wait, how are they? Yeah, we didn't get that. <laughs> Um, right, so actually, he makes this interview. He says private information can be publicly known, but because it can cause embarrassment, right? And he talks about right that pri- private activities, activities that Jewish law believes should be protect- protected, can occur in the home, mm-hmm. but also in a very visible agricultural field. So that's a very interesting claim where they said has a great Right, that your that your your grain has a right to grow in privacy, um, and in certain. In certain uh, circumstances, in the street, such as the case of a woman engaged in the personal but publicly visible activity of walking mm. to a, walking to a mikveh, private information can be publicly known, but because it can cause embarrassment or limited personal growth by capturing by capturing one in a narrative, one seeks. Right, this is a very modern notion, right? That it captures one in a narrative, one seeks to escape. 
right? You now become part of a story that you didn't want to be part of. And so your, your right to private your right to privacy in halacha means that people can't tell stories about you they don't want. Uh, right? They're big. They're 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 general claim. Well, what I want to let's say I'm talking too much. So why don't you formulate what you think their their general contribution was? Which I think you got. You should have gotten out of the earlier part of the article. Right, what is what is thinking halakhically add to contemporary considerations of, that they think that existing American privacy law has failed? Yeah. They think that existing American privacy law can't like conceive of, of trying to start by, des by designing society. It's entirely focused on like, you know, like, you know, if, if I harmed you or if you harmed me, and it has no conception of anything that doesn't have to do with harm or rights. That's that's their argument. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a big right, they move, right? They, they, we should yeah. think, right? The way they frame it is we should think about it as communally as opposed to individually. Yeah, it's interesting because mm -hmm. that's often my critique of halacha, that we right, that we become reactive and ass assuming mm -hmm. the state of society as opposed to designing it from scratch. Um, so it's a really interesting claim that they think that halacha... Yeah. Um, a lot of things said about halacha we weren't really... Uh, yeah. Didn't really buy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so that's a, that's a fair short... What, tell, give me an example. Um... They tried to claim that halakha doesn't involve like any conception of um, <laughs> uh, technological determinism or, um, let me see, let me find the exact phrase, uh, uh, right, or, or expectations, right, um, when that is literally what we saw in the Mi'iri, right, it is in a society with within walls, everyone understands yeah. that they have to talk quietly, right? Yeah, there was also not no questioning of the conceptive Geneva dot as like feeling intellectual property. There's no questioning of that when it was when they quoted I can't remember which source. Yeah. That's always what Tony, what did you want to say? Uh, I, I I can't think of any particular examples, but it happens so much. Okay. So they're right, so they're engaged in a, a different kind of process of construction. Because mm -hmm. they're not constructing the law, they're constructing a counter to the law. It was, right. it was very odd how they, they just assumed Hezekshmiya is a real thing. Yeah. Don't quote the Mi'uri, but do make claims that seem to directly contradict the Mi'uri, even though he's the only source for it. Uh, well, it's not the only source. He's the Mizrahi. But he's against, he's against it. it. He's against it. Let's That's worth seeing. Because I promised, yeah. I promised um, Ariel that I would send some critique, and that was, I thought that would be months ago, and I didn't do it, so it would be great if I had one specific <laughs> critique. So where, does he, where is he talking about this? <laughs> About Hezek or about? Hezek yeah, that, that sounds like a great word. The war, the war they just keep saying oral over oral, and over yeah. and over again. Well, search for oral. they actually prove it? They say oral 26 times. <laughs> the first time is behavioral, though. There's <laughs> also just. No, the... uh, oral, A-U-R-A-L. Oh, A-U-A-R-S, that's true. Yes, right, sound wise. I'm not sure how many times they say it. I thought they said it a lot of times. It seems to only say it twice, but they do keep like like assuming that it's included. They just always talk of visual and oral surveillance. Yeah. Jewish legal tradition which has long articulated a vision for the protection of privacy by mandating both preventive architectures and appropriate behaviors regarding visual and oral surveillance. Right, even though the Mi'iri explicitly does not mandate that. Okay, that is a valuable critique. I have to go. I have to go read it again to make sure they haven't mentioned the Mi'iri anywhere anywhere in here. They haven't mentioned. They, 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 they also they also mention like the well-built doctrine against Hezekiah as well as prohibitions on Hezekiah without any slight citation for that whatsoever. Um, uh, they mentioned the Mi'iri twice. So the Mi'iri is mentioned once on page seventy-seven. Uh, which says, understood by later exegetes. So they quote the area about Gilly Sod on page 77. 
And they quote, this imposes a duty both, both on speakers to speak in normal tones, right? So on page 38, they quote the Miri as imposing a duty on speakers. But he doesn't do that. <laughs> As opposed to that's what the Peleoids does. That's not all what the Mary does. Uh, okay, so that's a that's a good that that's a good single thing to talk about, uh, right? Page forty-seven. They say the absence of mention. Uh, page footnote one forty-seven. Right, the absence of mention of this doctrine in the classic Talmudic sources has led to some minority views denying that listening harm should be considered a form of damage. Celio and Mizrahi. <laughs> And right. it's not a minority view. No one contradicts. The most rabbinic authorities concur that ordinary surveillance is forbidden. See Yitzchak Zilberstein, Chashuk Echemet. That's not a fair so their analysis, of the evidence. So I think their analysis is taken from Chashuk Echemet. They just believed him? I think their analysis is taken from Chashuk Echemet. <laughs> All right, that's an interesting thing, right? That's a, you know, you could argue, like they're, they're quoting a very prominent contemporary response authority who offers uh, you know, an analysis that is not so non-standard in... Um, it, you know, the analysis doesn't conflict with what we read in Rabbi Lamb, for example. Uh, it's not, it's not dissimilar from what the Piskei Din Rabbi Naim do. Uh, and yet, Rabbi Lamb goes through the process, though. Right, right. It, 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 it just takes the end without, right, without, without consideration of how we got there. Um, right, and you know, and then the claim gets stronger as you play telephone. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that's the. That's yeah, the I think the description of the meter in the footnote is not like in footnote one forty eight. Right, they say he 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 is cautioning against speaking very loudly next to a wall, which I don't think is a fair summary of what he actually said. Mm-hmm. I think that's that right. would be a very fair description of the Pelioids, and it is not at all a fair description of the Mary. I think that's right. I think Mary says people do. Mary doesn't talk about the uh, the caution. Okay, right. So that's a fair that's a fair critique. Um, I you know, I look forward to seeing it, you know seeing your vote. What other critiques there are, and you know unless you object, I'll. I will uh, happily forward everything everything we have to uh, to that to them and see how they respond because they you know this is they want this to be part of the conversation and I think they're open to critiques um, and that's uh, that's that that, that the, the critique of the way they present the areas really is I think really solid. Um, okay, so that that is all um, that's all I have to say. Um, there's a lot to, obviously there's a lot that you guys could still go read. And, yeah. Either over dinner at some point before everyone disperses, we have a discussion of the Shiloh. It usually happens naturally while people are writing, but if we're writing separately, it's not going to happen. Hmm. Um, so I, uh, I guess we could have it over dinner tonight. I thought, I thought well, maybe the, the world of WhatsApp would. Um, it's not okay. like It doesn't work. I, I okay, so let's. You know, by all means, we can say we can dedicate. We can a Zoom call specifically to our purpose. Huh? So I was thinking about. So, yeah, so I'm not going to be here at dinner. So if we're right. Yeah. Time, so well, I, I think there's no, it's not a country. It can't be one. It doesn't have to be one, but not the other. Yeah. Um, what I was wondering about, um, and I'm going to 